0: and reading at their very best are a social experience whether it be a book club a poetry slam or the production of a play words are meant to be shared i'm your host amy and i'm your host carrie we've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what
1: we're reading but in so many ways we are opposites carrie is a cat lover but i'm a dog nut amy loves a good party while i prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch but books are the tie that binds Each week, we have fun conversations with
0: interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are.
1: We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. If you have
0: enjoyed our show, we humbly ask that you share it with a friend. Tell them how they can find the great conversations we have with readers, writers, librarians, teachers, and artists right here on Forward Radio's website or as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you'd leave us a review on Facebook or on Apple Podcasts, Carrie and I will do a little happy dance. It's officially summer, the kids are done with school, and it feels like time to relax a little after a stressful spring. Wouldn't we all like to be sitting on a beach, by a lake, or on a shaded porch reading the perfect book? But not everyone's plans are what they once were with the uncertainty that has plagued us in 2020. Maybe our biggest escape is through the pages of a book. Our guest this week is someone we trust to help us with finding that book. We are excited to welcome back friend of the show and bookseller Sam Miller from Carmichael's Books here in Louisville, Kentucky. When we planned this week's episode weeks ago, we wanted to talk about summer reading, and in our minds, we envisioned beach reads and books that people read for pure enjoyment. But with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the protests that are occurring in response to those, we realized that summer reading for many people might look different than it usually does. The perks of being a book lover has always been about books, reading, and sharing that reading with others. Reading for us has been about connection with others, and perhaps the most important part of that experience has been sitting back and being quiet, listening to what others have to tell us, what their experiences can teach us and help us understand. Early in our show, we were able to see the film Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am, at the Speed Cinema, and listen to the discussion about Morrison's role in literature. Throughout her career as both an editor and author, Morrison said a lot of important things about what reading can do. In an interview in 2003, Morrison said, books are a form of political action. Books are knowledge. Books are reflection. Books change your mind. Carrie and I here at The Perks of Being a Book Lover believe that Black authors matter. Black voices matter. Black lives matter.
1: Hi, Amy. Hi. I didn't sleep well last night. I know. (laughs) But this is going to make me feel better. We've got one of our favorite bookish people here, Sam Miller from Carmichael's, who didn't know it, I think, until she came here today that she's going to be our periodic guest who gets to come back again and again and again and talk to us about books. So hi, Sam. Good morning. I'm honored. (laughs) So first of all, let's start with an update. So, you know, in March, covid came on the scene and things started shutting down. So tell us a little bit about how the pandemic affected Carmichael's bookstore You know, with all the stay at home orders, people being stuck in their houses.
2: Well, despite what the three of us here might think, Carmichael's was not an essential business according to the governor. Um, So we essentially, like a lot of other small businesses at the time, had to flip what we do on a dime to try and stay afloat. So we've switched our front facing business, which counts on customers coming into the stores to choose the books and browse to being solely an online business with available curbside and delivery for folks who didn't have the online option or didn't want to take the online option. So that essentially meant using our website in ways that we never used it before. So we had a team of booksellers inside taking phone calls and being personal shoppers for people, and then a team of people in the back working on the website and working to fill all the orders. So what was that like? Um, It was more towering than Christmas, most honestly. Um, It was a lot of really, really, really long conversations because you'd have to explain this thing over and over again, especially at the beginning before people kind of got their groove about how to shop during a pandemic. And lots of explanations of things that couldn't be on the website or at first maybe not on the website, like puzzles. Obviously, everyone was crazy for their pandemic puzzles, but had never been on the, our website before. So you would have a long conversation where you'd have to describe every single puzzle in the store oh. so they could des- make up their mind about which one was right for them before we figured out how to put them on the website. So lots of that kind of thing. Um, lots of just honestly, you know, Handholding of regular customers who couldn't come in the store. Their routine was interrupted. Um, they couldn't have their normal Carmichael's fix. So they were looking to get it in different ways.
0: So now that people can come back into Carmichael's, because I think June 1st, you all opened back up to the public, what yes. does it look like now? Well, it looks like
2: now that you, we are love for you to come visit us, but we have such small stores, we have to have a very small number of people in so we can still do our proper social distancing. So we have limits. So you may be asked to wait outside if we have a maximum capacity going on. People do have to wear masks. Uh, obviously, we have sanitizer at every entrance and at counters. So, um, you know, the usual hopefully good behavior that people have been doing all along though. They'll be doing inside Carmichael's now. And we're still offering curbside and delivery for folks who are, you know, compromised or just don't feel comfortable getting back out for non-absolutely essentials.
1: As a a person who over the years has become more introverted, I personally love curbside. (laughs) I'm like, I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to be in a crowd. I, you know, I mean, I hate it that the pandemic made it so businesses had to just quickly pivot and all the stress. But (laughs) for a person like me, I'm really down with with curbside pickup. It made it
0: ridiculously easy to order a book. And if I during the pandemic, I could just go on the website and click and say, yes, I want that book. And they would text me when it was ready, or send me a little email. And then if I needed a little outing, like to get out of my house, it was fun to drive down to the store <laughs> and pick it up. It's like, it was like a little, you know, a little field trip for the day. It was. I kind of enjoyed it, and I bought probably more books than I normally would. Actually,
1: yeah, I think you, you developed a, a little bit of a problem. I did. A li- like bit. all, all the books you were buying were color coordinated and. <laughs> I mean, it With was my shoes. Yeah, yeah. It, it got a little weird there for a while. <laughs> so, the reason we, we invited you on, you know, it's June 5th when we're recording this. So, uh, we wanted to talk to you about summer reading because, um, you know, school's out and the weather's getting warm. And a lot of times people think about, okay, well, what am I going to read this summer? So, tell us what does summer reading mean to you or what do you think about both as an individual and as a bookseller? Personally, if you say the word summer reading, I think
2: two things. One, from a personal, I think of being a kid and not bringing enough books on vacation and then being forced to read whatever was at the place where we were renting, which turned out a lot of times to be the Reader's Digest condensed novels, (laughs) which mean I really read some strange 80s fiction that uh, perhaps a younger person wasn't really meant to read. (laughs) Or not-gear tour, at least. I I mean, I clearly remember, like, being in the pool with a book on the ledge beside the pool reading. So if it was quiet enough and there weren't any other swimmers who were going to get the book messed up, that was, like, my preferred summer reading. But as a bookseller like a professional person when you say summer reading i first think of kids summer reading and like summer reading that students are required to do to so that brains don't turn to total mush during the summertime and i think of the many negotiations i've had with reluctant readers about summer reading and how many people end up reading the red pony or the pearl by john steinbeck because it's the shortest <laughs> one <laughs> <laughs> they're always interested in the page count as opposed to anything that might actually be uh, of the up up there actually up their alley but i think what you're getting at is a beach read phenomenon wherein many people not any people in this room or perhaps people who listen to this great podcast who only read one or two books a year and those usually happen on their vacation so frequently you're talking about a beach read which mostly means fiction mostly means really propulsive uh, often means everything but the plot is cheerfully thrown overboard. <laughs> um, and and I don't mean that in a judgy way. Sometimes if we're thinking about books as, uh, you know, nutrition, you don't always want to eat spinach every day unless you're Popeye. Sometimes you just want a, you know, three times the serving recommendation of Cheetos. (laughs) So there are books like that, too. Sometimes you just want something fun. And I think that summer reading books, when people are talking about that as a beach read, they want something fun, something they can dip into, but easily put down, you know,
1: something that's not going to be too taxing for the brain, something that's easy to follow and fun. I think you make a really good point. I know for me, because I am teaching from September to May, summer reading to me means I am reading exactly what I want to read. Yes. You know, because when I'm teaching a book, even if I've taught it before, I feel like I need to reread it just to, you know, remind myself, you know, and learn new things. Every time I read one of these books that I teach, I learn something new. But in the summer, I don't have to read what I'm going to teach. I can read, you know, whatever I want. So that that's what I think about. How about you, Amy? What do I think of when I think of a summer read? Mm -hmm.
0: I think of something that's kind of light and is reminiscent of summer. So I read one recently that was, I think, a big summer read last year, which was Daisy Jones and the Six. To me, that is like the quintessential summer read because – it's about music in the 1970s, which is reminiscent of like all the music festivals that are normally going on in the summer aren't going to be this year, but normally would be going on. And it was, it was like what you said. It was sort of a propulsive. It had a lot of things to think about, but it wasn't particularly deep. I mean, you know, it wasn't spinach. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't going to
1: exhaust you to think about no, it. No,
0: it wasn't spinach. I wouldn't say it was Cheetos either. I would say <laughs> it might be more like... I'm trying to think what would be (laughs) in between food food it would be. But yeah, so so that's that
1: would be my kind of summer read. So Sam, what do you see as a as a bookseller? Once summer comes upon, you know, Carmichael's, what kind of things are you helping customers find? And I know that sort of depends on each individual customer, but as a pattern, like, are there patterns in what you're helping customers find?
2: Sure. I mean, obviously, 2020 is Weird and strange, and unlike any other year, there were a lot of summer releases or late spring releases that got pushed back. There were a lot of debut authors. I feel really bad about. Maybe came out in the spring and they didn't get to have their big splashy debut. They didn't get to have their tour, no launch parties. So they had to, you know, again go to online stuff or try to rethink things. Uh, but there's still plenty of good titles coming out, and most people are looking for those kind of things this time of year. Yes, there will always be people like me who want dark stuff all the time. (laughs) But most people are looking for something a little lighter, especially this year. I feel like they're able to come back in the store. Maybe they don't get to go on the vacation they planned, or they don't get to go do the things that they would normally do in the summer. So maybe they're just going to need to get away in a book.
0: So do the publishing companies, do they plan on publishing certain types of books that they think will be... Summer reads for the summer? Absolutely. The two okay. biggest time
2: of years for books are spring and fall. So spring and preparation for summer, and those are generally the kind of books we're talking about, and fall and preparation for Christmas. And those are generally like the your heavier, more literary stuff, the things that are likely going to win awards the following year. So it's kind of like movies where you have mm-hmm. summer movies that are just
0: big dumb fun and then fall movies that are serious and Oscar contender kind of things. Let's talk a little bit about, you said that a lot of publishing dates were pushed back for some books. Because we wanted to do this episode with you a little earlier, you know, maybe early, mid-May. And you said that a lot of the titles had been pushed back a little bit. So can you talk about that? Well, and there were some that have, if you're that close, it's probably not going to be that
2: big of a deal to to switch dates. So some of them are just coming out. So there's actually probably going to be more late summer releases that were meant to be out in the spring than in an average year but as we said there's nothing really average about 2020 so uh, and some of them has just been jockeyed or pulled you know pushed back entirely to for a different time at all um i'm actually participating and will be published in a book that was supposed to come out in the springtime and they actually pushed it back to next spring um so it's just publishers i assume they were running on skeleton crews they had less staffers they had less people who could work maybe hopefully not, but maybe they had sicknesses at their workplaces. So I mean, there was a lot of things, just everything slowed down during the pandemic, and is still kind of slow. Our usual quick turnaround times are not the same as normal. And, you know, publishers are scrambling to maybe print more things that were more popular than not. Some of those kind of things are happening more slowly.
0: So let's get to the meat of it, then. (laughs) What are some titles that you think are going to be popular this summer or will make for some good summer reading? Well, of, there's some old stalwarts, of course. Stephen King has a new one.
2: John Grisham has a new one. Eric Larson has a new one. Those are all already selling, already out, already popular, and will probably be continue to be popular, especially as we're moving towards Father's Day. Those also tend to be like big Father's Day kind of gifts. Uh, I mean, I picked a few titles to talk about that I've read and enjoyed, some of which were actually spring releases, which actually kind of Mm -hmm. with an eye towards summer, but they're not necessarily the kind of beach read thing that we've been talking about. I I mean, I feel like those are pretty easy to spot. Um, There's actually a whole genre of beach reads, usually written by women with three names. (laughs) (laughs) There's Mary Alice Monroe, Mary Kay Andrews, and you can usually tell because there's, you know, an umbrella or a beach ball or a a pair of knees on a beach. Yeah. You know, those are pretty easy to spot. And there are those. Jennifer Weiner has one called Big Summer. There's actually a new book out just called Beach Read, which I thought, call it what it is. Yeah. It's a beach read. <laughs> nope. No, no d- doubting that one. But some I am either have read or am looking forward to. Emily St. John Mandel, the woman oh. who wrote Station Eleven, has a new one called The Glass Hotel, which so far is my book of the year. I read it actually at the end of last year. So it's a pretty high yardstick that... We're into June, and I still haven't seen or read anything that I like better. But it's interesting. It's not about a pandemic. So those of you who are up to here with pandemics, don't worry. (laughs) But it is about a brother or sister and a Ponzi scheme, which sounds like the driest, most uninteresting plot summary. But if you've read her before, you know it's not necessarily about the plot with her. It's about what it makes you feel. So... Real sense of creeping unease with this one. Not light, not your typical beach read. I also, more in line with a typical beach read, the new Emma Straub called All Adults Here. She's an author. She also owns a great bookstore in Brooklyn called Books Are Magic. It's about a woman who witnesses an acquaintance die in a traffic accident, and that causes her to upend her life. And she decides that the last part of her life is going to be the most authentic. <coughs> And that means some major house cleaning, personally. So it's super interesting, really great family dynamic story, uh, but also like very affirming. You can tell that Emma Straub is like a people person and she loves people. And that really shines through in her writing. Another one I really liked, also super dark, um, is a debut by an author named Elizabeth Wetmore. It's called Valentine. It's set in 1970s Odessa, Texas. Uh, has uh, characters five principal characters all women at different ages and there's been a terrible rape in the town and it's about how those five women cope with that tragedy I would do not recommend it to people who have issues with that topic and definitely needs a trigger warning for that purposes but her writing is amazing And I expect great things from her in the
0: future. Now, I think I might have heard an interview with her, but it was like a month or so. I mean, it was a little while ago. Is she a little bit older? And by older, I mean like this is her debut novel and she was like in her 40s when she wrote it. Yes. Okay, so it is the same person, I think. Not that there couldn't be.
2: And she's been, I mean, she's a writing instructor. So it's not like, you know, she's been doing something else completely aside from writing all this time. She has always been writing, but this is her debut. And she's definitely one of the people I feel like you know, it might not get the attention that it deserved because she wasn't able to go on that tour and, you know, wasn't able to promote it in the same way that, you know, you, she normally would in a non-pandemic year. But it, it's really some amazing, amazing writing. Another one I'm really looking forward to is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which I know you, Amy, have been interested in. She's the woman who wrote the book The Mothers a couple of years ago. Um, this one is about a pair of African-American twins, one of whom passes as white and what that means to their relationship to each other and the rest of the world. Sounds fascinating. I haven't got my hands on it yet, but I look forward to
0: that one. I came into Carmichael's the other day looking for it, and they and their excuse was the <laughs> shipment got lost. <laughs> oh, that old excuse. <laughs> we'll
2: get it for you. <laughs> but those are a few that I've read and can personally vouch for. Certainly there's lots out there, and obviously reaching out to your local bookseller is always a great place to get recommendations. And there's also, this time
0: of year, of course, lots of great lists online about great summer reads, too. Do you know any YA or children's books that are coming out that that might be Well, I really
2: enjoyed, there's a sequel now to The One and Only Ivan, which is a book I adore. And the sequel came out with the one and only Bob. So Bob, who is a supporting player in the first book, gets his own adventure and he gets to be the hero, which is great. And it's going to be a film. The original Ivan is going to be a film this fall. And uh, I'm really pleased that Danny DeVito is going to be the voice of Bob because I feel like that's some spot on casting. But for Ivan fans, you will love the new one. It's every bit as good as the original.
0: Okay, so I have not read that book. What animal is Ivan and what animal is Bob? Because Bob, I know that they is the gorilla okay. who lives in the mall. And okay. Bob is his best friend who's a stray dog. Oh, okay. All right. Now there I have to go. read him. A you stray dog. To. Okay. <laughs> not well, that I don't like gorillas. I like gorillas too, but I don't live with three. <laughs> well, <laughs> And it's
2: just, it's beautifully poetically written. It's, I mean, I would recommend it for anyone, not just for kids. It's one of those intermediate middle grade books that I, adults enjoy every bit as much as children do. And it's just will just blow your mind that it's based on a true story. That you know th- there was a time when having a gorilla in a shopping mall seemed like that a good was a, idea. that was a fine thing to do. <laughs> um, also, there's lots of great new YA. Um, there's a whole slate of it. It's June, obviously. It's Pride Month. There's a whole bunch of new queer YA stuff that's fantastic. Um, the woman who wrote uh, Poet X and won the National Book Award for that, she has a new book out. So yeah, there's lots of great stuff out there for that
1: age as well. Are, are there any books that you know? Since you all just opened up to walk-in shoppers, are there any books that that you found people wanting to read this week that that you think of as, as summer summer reads?
2: Well, some of the ones we've already talked about, like people were super happy. You know, if you if you rely on the book browsing, like you don't read a lot online, or you're not, you know look getting the New York Times book review or things like that, you mightn't even know what the new releases are. What I found mostly this week is people really wanted to linger by the new release tables. Like they were just like, oh this new stuff. Oh look, John Grisham has a new one. Oh look, there's a new such and such. Oh look, there's a no so and so. So and I think some of the titles that we have been selling well during the pandemic, like New Glenn and Doyle, for example, the new Eric Larson were outstanding sellers for us they're they're going to keep selling because those are going to be great word of mouth ones people read it they pass it on to their friend or they tell their friend hey you have to read this especially the Glennon Doyle she just seems to have such a rabid fan base already but I feel like this is really the big one that is going to make people really sit up and take notice of her work and people who have not read her other stuff are really gonna get into this one
0: I've seen her name and I and you're right her her name is out there a lot on on social media, but I'm not really familiar with her. So what what kind of things does she write? It's self help. It's all about living
2: your best life. To sound kind of Oprahish about it. Okay, um, and she just has a really realistic eye towards it, like what's accessible and possible, as opposed to being totally aspirational, okay. and kind of meeting people readers where they are instead mm-hmm. of you know, being a little bit above where you are, which can kind of be discouraging sometimes, depending on what kind of self help you're looking for. So she's a really powerful speaker. So I feel like if you're interested at all, if you look at, you know, video online, that'll probably tell you one way or the other if she's going to be a fit for you.
1: So are there any books that you have read, you know, over the course of your life that stand out to you as a perfect summer read? Some of that, you know, as we've talked about, summer read means different things to different people.
2: Well, I mean, I feel like some of them, uh, a summer read is probably, you know, you should read it in front of an oscillating fan on a porch, but that's probably the Southern person coming out. So, I mean, when I think of summer, I kind of think of some of the things that are set in summer, like your To Kill a Mockingbird*.s Obviously, some of the action actually takes place in the fall, but the trial that's the heart of that book takes place in the summer, and there's just such colorful description of how hot it is and like the women melting like tea cakes and all that so like those kind of things definitely pop into mind as far as like books of a lifetime that you would count as summer reads just because they're so strongly associated with summer in
1: the actual text now I've only read it once but somebody gave me this book it's called gifts from the sea and Mauro Lindbergh Lindbergh. And, and it's kind of I don't know how would you describe that one it's it's poetry, it's, but it's kind of like inspirational, I, isn't it? I guess so. And I tend to think, I mean, even though I've only read, I mean, I've i have it on, I've had it on my bookshelf for years, I've only read it once. But for some reason, and it, and I think it's just because of the beach and, yes. you know, going to the beach. And so for me, that's one that I just kind of, that's a summer read.
0: Sometimes in the summer, not so much lately, but like if I'm going to go on a vacation, I like a big meaty book. And I'm not always a person who likes a long book because it requires a lot of commitment. But sometimes in the summer, if I'm going to be somewhere where I've got lots of time, nothing else to do, I do do like a big, thick, epic kind of book. So another kind of book that I do like to read in the summer is a travel book. By travel, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, the best things to do in Chicago or whatever, but a book about somebody's travel or say, a road trip book, or uh, one that's a particular favorite is Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which is about her personal journey of hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And I highly recommend that book. But whenever I travel, I always like to read a book about where I'm going. And so last year, when I went to Santa Fe, I probably, gosh, I read three or four books about New Mexico, or Santa Fe. This year, I'm going to North Carolina to the mountains. Uh, So there are a couple books that I have in mind that I want to read when I go there. So that's another kind of book that I, I like to read with my with my summer reading. But one that I just thought of now, and it came out a few years ago, but was the first one by Jane Harper called The Dry, which is set in Australia in the outback. But the reason I say it, it, it's a kind of a thriller, but the writer's language just exudes how hot it is. So if you like to read books that sort of have the atmosphere of the season that you're in, That would be a good one. Right. So you don't have anything. What What do you consider a a summer read, Carrie?
1: Whatever I feel like reading. Okay. So you don't have. Yeah. I mean, I
0: don't know that I read particular (laughs) kinds of books necessarily. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that it's just for me. You know, I always have books from September to May that I'm like, oh, I want to read that. I can't fit it in. You know, either it's you know, longer than I want to read, or, you know, for whatever reason, I I think the other thing for me is that I think to myself, with summer, I'm going to treat myself to something for the summer. And so I tend to be I'm very frugal, I like to utilize the library as much as possible. But I feel like for summer, I am willing to buy things for myself to read in the summer because it's it's just something that I have been putting off, you know, and so it, it feels like, I guess, a reward for myself. Unfortunately, I, I have more books that I've put on my TBR between September and May, and I don't <laughs> think I could, you know, realistically afford all of them, and I probably don't have enough space in my house either, so...
0: So I do want to ask you one more thing about Carmichael's. I know you all have recently, actually, it happened right before the pandemic started. You opened up the back of the store to be a space where um, authors could come in and do their author talks, you know, a very nice area. So can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, obviously, you haven't been able to utilize that, you know, over the pandemic. But what are the plans for that space? Well, we took over that space behind us to move our
2: offices. So the offices that were in the back of the store now are over there. So we have more room. So there's a little bit more breathing room. Uh, We were able to add more cases just on the sales floor. So we have more titles in general. And then also, as you said, it's meant to be our event space because before all our fixtures were on wheels. But every time we had an event, we had to move cases and rearrange the furniture. So now we wouldn't have to do that anymore. We could just set up the chairs. And it's a beautiful big space. It has a great space mural that we had a local artist paint um, that has this astronaut reading Carmichael's books in space, which is great. And really no one's been able to come in and appreciate, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, We were able to have three or four events before we stopped having events and then before we stopped having customers in the store in general. So hopefully sometime in the future... Uh, I I don't know what that will look like as far as timetable, but in the future when we can be gathered together again safely in large numbers that we will do that and we will celebrate and people can properly christen our new event space that just became our, our ship out space. So we had hundreds and hundreds of piles at the peak of the pandemic when we were closed when just waiting for other books to come in or waiting for the customer to be contacted or waiting to go to the appropriate spot.
0: Well, it was great to hear what all has been going on at Carmichael's. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading.
1: So do you have any other books that that you haven't talked about that you want to throw out there just so that people know about them? Well, The book I had on hold at the library the
2: week the library closed, because we didn't have any copies for me to check out, is a book called This is Chance uh, by an author named Jonathan Muellen. It's about uh, the 1969 Great Alaskan Earthquake and a female journalist whose name was Jeannie Chance, who was a radio broadcaster in Anchorage at the time, who became the voice of that particular tragedy, because she was there and she essentially broadcast for days afterwards. And that was the only operating mechanism for people to find out information. So it was her reporting on the air almost nonstop. But it was also her just saying stuff like, Carrie, your family's at the corner of such and such and such and such. Please go meet them there. Or we found this dog that we can't figure out. This is the description. This is where you can find your, like just public service announcements for hours and hours and hours at the time because there was no other way to communicate. So it's a terrific book. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting it's like it killed me that literally it was on the library hold shelf with my name on it. Oh. If I could only get in the library. <laughs> but I finally treated myself to a copy and it's terrific. So that's what I'm actually it's a segue into what I'm reading right now. And that I definitely will be telling people about it because it's a great little known story that people wouldn't know if you didn't live in Alaska. And I lived in Alaska for a couple of years. So I, it's taking me back to my time in Alaska because it's name dropping all the places I remember. Now, what year did that happen? 1969. Okay. And it's still the largest earthquake that happened in North America. It was a 9.2. Wow. And the
0: original earthquake was five minutes long. There were lots of things going on in that time period, and maybe that's why people don't... Well, plus it's in Alaska, and I think people just aren't as cognizant of things that are happening in Alaska. Absolutely, especially
2: at that time, because it was a newly minted state. So, I mean, it was... You know brand spanking new and anchorage barely had a hundred thousand people at the time and that was the largest city in the state so i mean there were, it was like a whole other country because it kind of was still at that time and, it, and it's an interesting because he also talks about anchorage and, and alaskans and how they were super proud to be a state and they were working hard to try to you know make stuff happen and and be a success so this kind of happened at obviously at the worst possible time but also it kind of revealed their best as as any disaster does it reveals, brings out the best and worst
1: so when you were reading that, I mean, the, the thought occurred to me is, you know, comparing that to now when people have cell phones and so much information can be transmitted. Were you thinking about that at all as you were reading the book? Absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, how long
2: after the earthquake would the first meme happen now? It would be like <laughs> half an hour later, there would be the first meme. And yeah, I mean. I think maybe that's one of the reasons, too, that, you know, they were so united, too, is there was only one, literally one source of information. Because the newspaper wasn't able to be published for days afterwards. So there was literally just one source of information. So far unlike now where there's a million and one sources of information.
0: So have you been back to Alaska since you left? I have not.
2: I would love to go back, but I have never made it back.
0: So, were there? I mean, could you still see
2: remnants of the earthquake? Oh, absolutely! There now? Especially if you go down by like the Turnagain Arm, where there were obviously many tsunamis and the water, salt water, rose up and killed all the vegetation. And in places where people didn't live or there was no compelling financial reason to to fix it or ch- you know work on that, yes, you can. It's very easy to see remnants of the earthquake still today. Huh.
1: What are you all reading now? Yeah, I guess we're just gonna do <laughs> it now. <laughs> Mary, I think what I you know when, Amy. When you go on vacation in July, I think I know who my co host is going to be. <laughs> <over here. laughs> so, I you know, I have been I, I feel like this week, with everything that is going on in the news, it has been as difficult for me to concentrate on reading as it was the first week or two in March of the pandemic because I feel like the news cycle right now things have just been happening with with protests and police reaction to those protests that I have found it really hard to concentrate. So what I did was I read a a children's book. I mean, it's written for children, although it could be a difficult book for children to get through. It's called The Dark Thirty, Southern Tales of the Supernatural, and it's by Patricia McKissick. And so... I, you know, just with everything's going on and I, I try to read, you know, pretty widely, but I I knew that I couldn't handle, I didn't have the bandwidth for anything really intense, but I wanted to read about uh, the black experience. So this book, it, you know, depending on where you read about it, it's a a children's thriller book. I, I think there's about 10 stories in it. And these are stories that are actually they're chronological in nature so they start with slavery the first story is about two brothers one is white and the other one is mixed because his father was the plantation owner and so it's a story about these two brothers and and then it goes chronologically so there's a story that's set during the Jim Crow period. Um, There's a story that's set during the civil rights movement. So all of the stories have some kind of supernatural, you know, for a child, I could see that they would be, you know, maybe a little thrilling, maybe a little spooky, but I I felt like this would be a book that can serve two purposes. You know, it can be interesting to children, but it can also be a vehicle for parents teaching their children about black history. And so I read that. And then I also read a children's picture book that's called Freedom Over Me by Ashley Bryan. And this gentleman, I believe he's still living. And I want to say he's like 92 or 94. This book is, it's poetry and it, and it is illustrated, but it tells the story of I think it's about eleven slaves that live on a plantation, and each slave, you know, the poem tells their story, and then the next page is that person's hopes, and, and then there's these these beautiful illustrations, and at the end of the book, the author talks about how he over time has collected slave documents, and so he purchased these historical documents where it listed the slaves that were owned and you know it again this is a, a is a book that parents can use with very small children to have that conversation about this was slavery and and one of the illustrations shows the individuals and how much they were sold for and so some of them three hundred dollars some of them a hundred dollars and you I think that's an important conversation that, you know, is it right? I mean, people were owned by other people. And so I feel like, you know, that's important, especially now to use the books that are written by black authors to help foster these conversations that, that white people have to have with their children. So even though I wasn't reading, I guess, I guess I was reading super heavy stuff. (laughs) You know, it was just super heavy stuff that is geared towards children and making them think about history in in the United States. So how about you, Amy? I read a book called Well-Read Black Girl, Finding Our Stories,
0: Discovering Ourselves, which is compiled by Glory Edom. And Glory Edom is a woman who started a, started out as a book club in Brooklyn called Well-Read Black Girl, and the book club focuses on reading books by women of color, including debut authors or those who aren't as well-known, you know, so it's not all about, you know, Toni Morrison, and it has now grown, it has an online book club as well. There's a literary festival that they do, and I believe that there are branches of Well-Read Black Girl book clubs throughout the country. I know that there's one in Los Angeles, there's one in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so I think those those groups just meet locally to discuss it. So this book is a collection of essays. It was, it was published in 2018, and it's a collection of essays by black female writers. And so we've talked on this show, and you often hear this in educational cir- circles, about how important it is for young readers to see themselves in the books that they read. So the essays that are in this book by the authors are basically the authors discussing what books they saw themselves in when they were young and reading, what books inspired them. And so most of the time the authors talk about that they were other black female authors that had come before them, but not always. Occasionally it was someone like Rhode Dahl, Or it could even be a a TV character that they sort of related to. So it includes essays by well-known authors such as Jacqueline Woodson, N.K. Jemison, Tyari Jones, and Jesmyn Ward. But it also has essays by black female publishers, poets, playwrights, and nonfiction writers that you may not be as familiar with. It's divided up into sections by genre, and each section is concluded by a reading list that says basically well-read black girl recommends classic novels by black women. And so they, you know, they may give you 12 suggestions of classic novels by black women that you may want to read. Or there was a section on books about girlhood and friendship. Um, There was one that was poetry by black women. And so if you're a person who is looking to read more books by black female authors. This is a great book to up your TBR list and see some other books that you might be interested in. The essay, I think that I enjoyed the most and surprised me the most was the essay by N.K. Jemisin. Um, She's a renowned fantasy and science fiction writer. And I think she's won the Hugo and the Nebula back to back three, three three times, three times. And she talks about wanting to create her own mythology that includes all the different parts of her, the, you know, the African American part of her, she has some Uh, some Creek Indian in her family tree. And so some of that mythology, she grew up in an urban area. So she wanted to include uh, mythology that might be more city-based. But she also talks about watching Star Trek with her dad when she'd go visit him in the summers. And she would talk about in the 1960s on Star Trek, there was only one black character And she was the communications officer, which is really just sort of like a receptionist. But then when you watched in the 90s, the Star Trek, there's Deep Space Nine, and there was a black captain. So she says that she writes sci-fi so that she can write the future, even though the current may not be the way you want it. When you write it in the future, you can make it any way you want it. So I thought that hers was really insightful into maybe her. I've never read anything by her, but... Uh, You know, my husband's read several things. I know you've read some things by her, Carrie, but I thought it was interesting. I wanted to read the poem that was at the beginning of the book because I thought it was a good way to start the book out. And it's by Lucille Clifton, who is a well-known black female poet. And the name of the poem is called Won't You Celebrate With Me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. I would actually call this book very hopeful because it's, it's about women learning from women for the most part and about the the future of literature and telling their own stories and anyway I really enjoyed it and I wanted to be reading a book now you know with everything that's going on that sort of immersed me in in the subject so that's what I read
1: so that's our segue into part three so we're gonna take a short break and when we come back we're gonna continue that conversation We are back with Sam Miller from Carmichael's. And before we took a short break, Amy had talked about a book that she had read. So let's talk about books because this week there has been an increase, it seems, in people who want to do their homework And learn about race in the United States and diversity and how they can be more informed and understanding. So, Sam, have you seen just in the bookstore this week, have books been flying off the shelves?
2: Yes. Uh, And it's kind of been an unprecedented spike, uh, especially with the website traffic, because we've obviously been closed until this past week. So, we've trained people to use the website and the hundreds. And that's not an exaggeration of people ordering books about race. We actually have a list posted there with some suggested readings. And virtually none of them are in stock anymore, not just at our store, but at at our distributor as well. Most of them are having to be republished because this is a phenomenon that's happening all over the country. And it's something that I've been saying to people, I'm choosing to look at it as a good thing. Obviously, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing that we've kicked this so far down the road in our country's history, that it comes up in this manner. It reminds me as a child learning the poems of Langston Hughes and his poem Harlem, which has the line about what happens to a dream deferred, does it explode? I feel like we have the answer to that question now. Yes, it does explode. Fortunately, one of the ways it's exploding is there's people who are white who want to educate themselves and they want to do the labor and they want to learn more. And I fear that It's going to be a hard journey for them, not as hard as it is for people of color who have lived in fear in this nation. But it's still a hard journey to face racism in yourself, in your family. It's hard to call it out. It's hard to do the work and hard to unlearn things that you've learned your whole life. But it seems like based on this level of orders that we're receiving and questions that we're fielding, that there are lots of people out there who want to sign themselves up to do it.
1: So what are some of the books that that you have been taking questions about or having to tell people, this this isn't available, you'll have to check back with us?
2: Well, one of the most popular ones is one called White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. The subtitle is Why White People Have Such a Hard Time Talking About Race. That's probably the number one request right now at Carmichael's as far as these kind of books. Also, any books by Ibram Kendi. He won the National Book Award several years ago for his book, Stamped, From the Beginning, which is a history of slavery in the United States. He republished that and repackaged that book this year as simply one called Stamped in conjunction with the children's author Jason Reynolds, and that's geared towards younger readers. Both of those have also been incredibly popular. And he also published a separate book this year called How to Be Anti-Racist, because as Angela Davis said so many years ago, it's not enough to not be racist yourself. You have to be anti-racist. And so all of those have also been very, very popular. We also at Carmichael's have been participating for several years with Empower West Louisville. And they always have a citywide read during the month of February, which is, of course, African-American History Month. Um, So the books that they have read in the past few years have always been popular during that time, but are being repopularized now. Um, The Color of Money, uh, The Color of Law being two recent ones about African American history with banking and African American history with redlining and redistricting.
1: So I, I know for myself, nonfiction books are you know about race are one of the areas where I'm lacking. I generally read fiction books, and so I have read and and really had very strong emotional reactions to some of the fictional books I've read. Um, one of them I've I've actually talked about on the show is. Uh, Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward and it was I I mean it's one of my top two favorite contemporary books I know earlier I'd said I didn't have the bandwidth for handling anything intense I say that and then last night when I was in bed I uh, got her book Sing Unburied Sing and started that and uh, once again that is just a Powerhouse. I think I'm 15% into it, but it is a, it's just so visceral. And that's how she started Salvage the Bones. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So I feel like I'm going to, you know, it's hard to say enjoy, uh, enjoy it because it's a, it's a difficult, challenging, emotional read. But I feel like, you know, research suggests that people who read, Uh, are more empathetic, that they feel more compassion for people. And so I feel like that is what reading has has done for me. It's helped me put myself in the shoes of of people who aren't like me. So Sing Unburied Sing is is what I'm reading now, but I know I need to do the work. And I did want to mention, Amy had posted the other day on our uh, Facebook page that uh, Stamped is now available on Spotify. Is that accurate?
0: yes Amy. yeah so not the one with jason reynolds but these of the, the beginning yes. yes uh book riot was saying yesterday that it is available on spotify for free right now so if you can't get it in the bookstore and you want to listen to it you were saying some of these books are having to be reprinted so what's the back order look like i mean like do you have any idea like how
2: weeks for some, it might be months for others. Again, it depends on the publisher. They're right. also dealing with their own issues internally as far as staffing and having maintaining social distancing and all sorts of other right. things I don't even know about, I'm sure. So, yeah, I think this is going to continue on, which again, I, I hopefully I choose to look at it as a positive that maybe right. this will encourage people if you have to wait a little while for the book you requested that or remind you why you wanted to read it, you know, 3 weeks from now when maybe um, there aren't helicopters circling in your neighborhood or the protests on TV every day.
0: I wanted to mention, and I've, I think I've talked about a couple of these books on the podcast before, but if you are wanting to, you know, you can't get some of those books, you want to read some fiction there are a couple of YA titles that I have read in the last couple of years that are just really phenomenal. The author Angie Thomas she writes YA, but her book The Hate You Give her debut was just a phenomenal book, and it's about it's about the Black Lives Matter movement and about police brutality. And when I read it, it like kind of like just kind of blew my mind. And then she had a follow up book I think that came out last year called On the Come Up. On the Come Up is a book about a 16-year-old girl who wants to be a rapper. Uh, Her father had been a rapper, and she writes it as poetry. But she has to battle the expectations of others that if you're a rapper, it also means that you're a a gangster. Uh, And so that book is a lot involved with the way others perceive people in the black community. Uh, I liked it because it equates rapping with art uh, and and with writing. And the author Angie Thomas was also a teen rapper and so sort of her homage to the hip-hop movement and uh, rap as an art form. And so I did enjoy it. I liked her debut novel, The Hate You Give, a little better, but I would also recommend on the come-up. But there's another one by Nick Stone called Dear Martin that I did talk about on the podcast because I just read it. And it's very similar to The Hate You Give. The Hate You Give is from the perspective of a female teenager. Dear Martin is from the perspective of a male teenager. And he is writing letters to Martin Luther King kind of in a journal or in a diary and as a way to express his frustration and what is the right thing for me to do when I feel like the police are targeting me or or different things and so that one was a really powerful one too and so if you know if you want to read some fiction and about how young people feel about it
1: I would recommend those I've got two books that i have read. And these are children's books because I teach middle schoolers. So that's kind of my wheelhouse. But The Watsons Go to Birmingham 1963 by Christopher Paul Curtis is an amazing book. I love that book. It's about a family that travels during the summer of 1963 to stay with their their grandmother. And I mean, it's funny. It's a funny book. But it's also very impactful, I think, for young people. To read. Uh, I read it to my sons, and, and it opened up a conversation about the bombings of of the church. That's a really good book. Another one is Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, uh, which is by, I believe, Mildred Taylor. Yes. Yeah. And so that is a book about a black family and the, the struggles that they go through because they own their own land. And there's a particular white property owner who is is trying to get that land from the family. And so those are two books that again, I, I feel like parents have a responsibility to to have these conversations. You know, white families do not have to have the same conversations as black families with their children. And so but these are books that can, you know, be the impetus or be the the start of some conversations that white families do need to have with their with their kids.
2: When I was prepping for the show, I, I had a coworker who said, people just need to read James Baldwin. And I was like, it's really hard to argue with that sentiment. There's really no arguing with that sentiment. But I was reminded, if you go, obviously this is a podcast about books, but if you're unfamiliar with James Baldwin, there's a great clip that you can see on YouTube of him on the Dick Cavett show. And the other guests, this was back when talk shows were about talking, not necessarily people promoting their latest product the other guest was a professor from yale and he was challenging james baldwin about why do you always have to talk about race why is why are you always harping on race and james baldwin's response to this man is heartbreaking and eloquent and beautiful so if you're unfamiliar with his work if you've never read him or you only think of him as like a classic author that is completely unapproachable to you i would encourage you to look at that clip and then I think you'll want to explore his work because it's just a beautiful defense of why he had to do
1: that and why you know that why it was necessary I'm totally going to go watch that now I have seen that clip and I had started I cannot remember what audio what James Baldwin audiobook it was but I will, I will tell you I did not finish it and the reason why I did not finish it is because having heard James Baldwin's voice and, you know, he's just got a very distinctive voice and he was very passionate. And I tried to listen to an audiobook of him and the voice was very different. It was less distinctive, more kind of quiet or monotone. I'm not sure what it was. This doesn't feel like James Baldwin. And so I just sort of gave it up because I couldn't, whenever I think of James Baldwin, I hear that, I hear his voice. And so that's sort of what I need to hear. So, and we've talked about that, how, you know, it can be a, a person who has a great voice, but if you have a certain idea of what an audiobook should sound like, or what a character should sound like, or whatever, if the voice on the audiobook doesn't jibe with the voice that you've imagined or envisioned, then you might have, you might not be able to do it. Well, it sounds like whether you're looking for, you know, whatever you're reading this summer, whether it be things that help you escape from what's going on, or, or books that help you uh, tackle what's going on in the world, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that that people can be looking for. Uh, they might need to check out Their library and eBooks because that might be the best way to try to try to find some things. Carmichael's does have a eBook gift cards.
2: Yes, we have a partnership with Libro FM, which kind of works like if you shop at Kroger and you have chosen a charity to benefit from your shopping at Kroger, it kind of works the same way. You can cite Carmichael's or any independent bookstore as the recipient, and when you buy things through them, we get a portion of what you buy. So that's our partnership because we don't have the platform to to do that are ourselves. So we, we have partnered with them. So is that just with audiobooks or is this with yes. ebooks too? No, it's just with audiobooks. Okay. They're a competitor to Audible. Okay.
0: okay. But with ebooks, is there any way to help independent bookstores with ebooks? Not for Carmichael's.
2: I believe okay. there are other partnerships because back in the day we had a partnership with Kobo, which is kind of like a partnership with beta versus vhs oh the day. wow okay so that that pretty sure that's fallen by the wayside uh, I, this has been exciting because
1: we actually got to
0: interview sam yeah. in person
1: yay old school <laughs> we're doing it old school <laughs> and actually this is the first time amy and i have sat in a room together yes. since march so yeah it uh, is it was know, pretty exciting w- we've had some we've had some driveway yelling conversations at each other and lots of texting but um but it's nice to be yeah to be back in, the, back in the saddle again. So thanks so much, Sam, for joining us and having, having a great conversation. Thanks
0: for having me again. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Booklover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.